This morning, I, at this point, I'll just read verses 6 through 8. We pretty much all got the context of this by now, I hope. So beginning in Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, as we continue the exposition that we began this morning. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. As we discussed this morning, these are the words of our Lord Jesus. He is speaking about the crowds that are standing before him, what he sees and what he hears. But also, he is saying these things to his father as part of the arguments on why he ought to be heard as he's there upon the cross in order to strengthen him, strengthen his ability to withhold the terrible onslaughts that are going upon him, as well as to strengthen him in his faith and to his father. So all these things obviously are certainly good examples to us as we hope to point out in the uh, application of these a little bit later. But for now, we want to begin where we left off. We notice from verse 7, it says there, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. So we've discussed that, how that the, there were crowds out there watching the Lord Jesus, who they were, what it consisted of, how something of their posture, and, and now we're seeing some of the things in which they did. And one of the first things we are noting here is that they're laughing him to scorn. They're making fun of him, poking fun of him. After all, he declared to be the Son of God. He worked all these miracles. He did all these things by his own power, and yet now... He's crying out to God because God has forsaken him, and thus now they are laughing at him. The next act that we see them doing is found again in verse 7, as it says there, they shoot out the lip. Now that's a phrase that we do not use uh, too much, if any at all today. I guess you would say that would be an archaic type of a phrase, but it's very simply understood, especially in its context. It has to do with the idea of this is more of the jeering and the uh, scorning that they are doing to him. In our Baysan book, the particular Psalter that we're using at this time, they use the word mo, M-O-W, uh, which has the idea of uh, uh, making a mouth or a grimace with your mouth at someone. As I said this morning, we would uh, probably use the phrase sticking out the tongue, but they did the lip. And, uh, and then some book authors, they got that from Henry Ainsworth and his Psalter and some of his expositions. So that's where that came from. I had to look that up, the word M-O-W, when we were uh, singing that in my family, our family worship. And it does, it means to make a grimace with the mouth, I suppose something like that, shoot out the lip. Um, I was reading a couple of commentators. This is John Trapp, and he says this, God is sensible of any the least affront or offense done to his people, be it but an unseemly gesture as Laban's warrings. Uh, Laban there in Genesis account where Laban was given a hard time to Jacob. And he says, and sets them upon record against the day of account. In other words, he's saying here that God is going to hold account even the looks that people give to God's people. And so think about that, that, that God takes account of all of that. And there, he's not going to let the world, the reprobates get away with anything like that. 
It'll be sin before him, and he's going to deal with that. Uh, someone else says this, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. These were gestures of contempt, pouting, grinning, shaking of the head, thrusting out of the tongue, and other modes of derision were endured by our patient Lord. Men made faces at him before whom angels veil their faces and adore. The basest signs of disgrace which disdain could devise were maliciously cast at him. They punned upon his prayers. They made matter for laughter of his sufferings and set him utterly at naught. So think of that again. This is how they treated God who is manifested in the flesh. The phrase in reality kind of denotes a strong indication, says one, of contempt. So I guess this would be the way that you would show the most contempt of someone at that day, and that would be by shooting out the lip. And then there was something else they did. They shake their heads. Interesting, there is a similar phrase that is used in Psalm 109, verse 25, and it could very well have been the, another quotation that our Lord gives. But it says, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shaked their heads. And there the psalmist is talking about some of the derision which uh, actually came upon him. Again, it's an act of contempt for them to shake the head at him. They were wagging their heads at him. Uh, Psalm 44, verse 14, we read this. Thou makest us a byword by the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. And so when God's people were in great distress, we know that uh, as the people of God were being watched by their enemies, they certainly would be making fun of them. Now the second, or the third thing I want us to notice, and this comes now from verse 8, and that is what they said. We've noticed some things that they did. Now we're noticing some things which they said. Now you notice the last word of verse 7 says saying, and so that goes into verse 8. This is all one sentence, verse 7 and 8. And it says here, this is what they said. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So now we turn to their cruel mockings, which turn now verbal. At first, they were just with the face, with the grimaces and with the shaking of the head and with the tongue or the uh, lips being sticking out. Now, it's more of the voice. Now, we know from the Gospels, there were more things that were actually said there at the foot of the cross than what we see revealed here in this passage. But nonetheless, this is here. For instance, in verse 8, which is recorded, we read this, he trusted on the Lord. That was actually found in the Gospels. That's found in Matthew 27, verse 43. And I'll just read that for you. Uh, must have lifted over here. Yep. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now, what were some things, who were the people who said this? As we've spoken earlier, we certainly can't believe this would have come out of the mouth of his mother or the mouths of those who loved him greatly. So it must have obviously been his enemies here. By whom is it spoken by then? Well, verse 41 of the book of Matthew tells us this. 
So let's turn there, if we would. Matthew chapter 27, or I'll turn there and you can just listen. Matthew 27 and verse 41, we read this. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. So we see here that some of the disparaging words came from the religious leaders of the day. Here are the those who were the ones who would carry around their Bibles, who would have their phylacteries full of scriptures upon them on their heads and on their arms. You know, the real holy men, the ones who would like to stand in the crowd and, and to lift up their voice and pray and to be seen of men. The ones who were the leaders of Judaism of this day. The ones who were the instructors of the law of Moses. The ones that would have told them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and souls. The ones who would have taught them to, to love their neighbor as themselves. And yet, we see that they are the ones who are deriding here the Lord Jesus. In fact, these are the same ones who were very instrumental in bringing the Lord Jesus before Herod and Pilate in order to condemn him in, in a civil court. They were also the men who would have condemned them in their own council when they held their Sanhedrin together, I guess is what they call it, as they were together and they pronounced judgment upon them and they said, he speaketh blasphemy because he claimed to be himself to be the Son of God. As we see from verse 41, there's were the mocking words which they spoke at that hour to him. Again, verse 42 says, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Mark tells us that these words were spoken among themselves. Mark 15, verse 31 says, Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. So here they're kind of huddled together there at the cross. And again, in earshot of the Lord, because the Lord records it or says it here in Psalm 22. So they're close enough to the cross so that he, they can hear him. They may be yelling this. Out loudly, because not only do they hear, we know that others heard as well. Luke also informs us that at this time, it was spoken when the people were watching. Luke 23, verse 35, which I don't have written down. Uh, Luke 23, oh, I know why. Someone said the other day, I can't use the excuse that my Bible's new because I've had it for quite a while now. I just can't get there as fast as I used to. Matthew 23, verse 35 says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. He be Christ, the chosen of God. 
And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So the Jews, or at this time, the religious leaders are saying this, and then others around them, that kind of stirs them up to start to say things as well. And that's usually what happens. You know, you got, you got a crowd and you got someone heckling. What does that do? That normally motivates somebody else to heckle, doesn't it? Somebody else begins to say words. And this is, this is what was going on here. And again, we see their words in Matthew's account, verses 42 and 43. And they're deriding him. Notice, first of all, in this, in verse 42, they first question his ability to deliver himself. He saved others, they say. Himself he cannot save. That's Matthew 27, verse 42. He was able to deliver others from death and from diseases, and yet he can't save himself. That was one of the things they said to him. Now, whether they believed he was able to do this, or whether they had heard it, or perhaps they even seen it, but at this point, this was, a, this was a way of mocking him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. The idea here is he couldn't help. He might help others, but he can't help himself. As I said, some of them surely were eyewitnesses of his power and of his miracles. Some of them, remember, said he was able to work such by the power of Beelzebub, the devil. So maybe they were even deriding him about the devil coming down and helping or coming up and helping him. Others said of him, you know, well, he's a great sinner. How could he do such great works as these? How could he restore the blind to uh, the sight to the blind when he's a great sinner? He's working here on the Sabbath. I'm sure they were the ones saying these kinds of things. Others probably just totally ignorant of the whole situation. And yet, they got kind of caught up in the moment and were deriding the Lord Jesus. Then there were some who knew better. Actually knew better. Remember Nicodemus? The one Jesus said, you know, you must be born again. That famous phrase, if anybody knows anything about the Bible, they may have heard that. You must be born again. You must be born so that you could believe and Upon the Savior and the sinners. Remember what Nicodemus said to him? It's amazing how he said, and if if you read it carefully, you'll catch what he says. He says there in John chapter 1, and you can remember he comes to him by night there, and no, chapter 3, and he begins there in verse 1, his speech. Then there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, and notice this, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I don't believe Nicodemus was one of the hecklers, but Nicodemus had his council friends, and that's who he says is the we here. We know that thou art from God. And yet they stand here and they mock Christ. How about that? Just like people today. Who they would say, we know Jesus is God. 
They don't believe in him. They don't. They would blaspheme his name. They would use his name. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, they would use it in a blasphemous way. No respect, no reverence. And yet they would say, oh, I know he's God. I know he worked those miracles. Those kind of people would be the same ones who would be standing there at that day heckling him. In fact, every single one of us would apart from grace. You know that? We'd all been yelling something bad apart from the grace of God. Here we see all the wicked things and the hypocrisy of these men as they say these things to our Lord Jesus and especially their unbelief. Others, if they could, said to him, you know, if you could rebuild the temple, If you could just rebuild it in three days, save yourself. In fact, that's some of the commentary around that. If your God's Son come down, remember that's in verse 40, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, Jesus did claim to be the Son of God because... He was the Son of God. He was God manifest in the flesh. But now they're using that as words of mocking to Him. And not only did it cause the crowd to, who was standing there before Him, sitting or standing as the case may be, perhaps far off, not only did it motivate them to deride the Lord Jesus, it also got to two thieves on the cross going. Think about it. Here, they're suffering the physical pain that our Lord's going through. Now, they're not suffering the wrath of God upon them because, as we said, they're not atoning for anyone's sins. Jesus was. But here, those two men going through great agonies, yet they themselves turn on them, the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 44. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. In other words, they were saying the same thing that all these men from verses 40 down through verse 43 were saying to him. The religious leaders mocking on in verse 42. He saved others, himself he cannot save. They were saying here, he's the king of the Jews. You know, he claimed that too. You remember in John 1, Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. They knew he claimed that. And it was claimed of him. And they were saying, if you're God and you're King, then you can come down. If you're God and King, you can come down. And if they do, you do come down, we'll believe on you. What do you think about that one? We'll believe on you if you can come down. Of course, that was a lie, was it not? Why? Why do I say that? Why was that a lie? Well, one, they had seen so many miracles already that our Lord did. And all it did was harden them. And secondly, they couldn't have believed on Him. It's not possible. Apart from the grace of God. People don't believe just out of the blue. 
They don't believe because they see Christ standing before them. They don't believe because they necessarily read the Bible or hear a good sermon or a bad sermon for that matter. They can't. There's nothing in them to cause them to believe. There's everything in them to cause them not to believe. It is only by that, what we talked about a while ago, the new birth, being born again, that causes a person who passes from death unto life to believe the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved and find forgiveness and justification and pardon of sin. See, the scriptures teach that man cannot believe apart from a work of grace. Thirdly, in verse 43, we find even more. He says, He trusted in God. Let Him deliver Him now, if He will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Now let's turn back to Psalm 22, verse 8, because that's part of what He says back in Psalms 22. Remember back there, our text, it says, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver Him. Let Him deliver Him, seeing He delighted in Him. Think about that. A thousand years before Matthew's gospel was penned and Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, it is written here in the Psalms what he would say and what was said. Shows us again something of the veracity or the truthfulness of the Word of God and especially how it centers upon Christ, the Savior of sinners. And here they are fulfilling the very things which was prophesied of them. Think of that. Thousand years later, we see those men's words, at least in part, recorded here in the scriptures of old. Of course, these men didn't believe he trusted in God. I'm sure they're just laying that claim to him. They remember they thought he was a great sinner. How can a great sinner do these miracles? And they thought he was a blasphemer. That's why he's hanging on the cross. It is just simply more of their mockings when they said he trusted on the Lord. They're mocking him more. They're mocking him again. They're casting it back. They're like when we cast words back into someone else's mouth, you know, and they. They're giving you an argument and you you use it back on them. That's what they're doing here. He trusted in God. He said he did. Ha, ha, ha. He's not believing on him. Let him deliver him. He trusted on the Lord. That would be Jehovah here. He trusted on him, his father. Why isn't he delivering him? He trusted that he would deliver him. And yet he hangs there on the cross. Actually, Christ did believe His Father, didn't He? Actually, the Lord Jesus knew God could have delivered Him. Remember, He could have called forth for 12 legion of angels and could have delivered Him from all of this as, from, as it started there in the garden. He said, thank you not that I can call 12, 12 legions of angels from my Father. He knew God could have delivered Him. He knew that God had delighted in Him. His father always delighted in him, at least to verse 1. After all, he is the Son of God, which our Lord did claim to be, as well as he claimed it unto others, and at his trial there before these leaders who are saying this. 
So the words are kind of in this effect. This man is such an imposter. He's claiming he trusts in God. He claimed he's being delighted in God. And guess what? He's not going to be delivered. What a terrible thing for him to hear, wasn't it? He trusted on the Lord. Let he, that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. We learn in Isaiah 37 how that such things had taken place even to God's people and so forth. What a terrible, terrible place so to be in. I'm about out of time, so I'm just going to go to my applications at this point. But you know, it's bad enough here that they crucify him. But now they mock him as well. You know, you hear you don't kick a man when he's down. This is what they're doing here. First thing I would like us to notice from all of this is something of the nature of man. Something of man's depravity. Now, by by depravity we mean something of the sinfulness of man. That all, and we think of what we call the term total depravity, that man is sinful in all of his being, whatever he is, whatever he consists of, body and soul, he's sinful. And it is so sinful that it would stoop so low as to mock God. To mock Him. Shows you how bad we are. It shows you why we need a Savior. You sit there and you're pious. Say, well, I wouldn't do stuff like that. Well, let me ask you. Have you ever used God's name in vain since you were born? Have you ever said His name in vain that you've mocked Him, my friend? We have such hearts to do so. Yet it is for such, for such, that he's hanging on the cross for. For such. Such as us. Secondly, how cruel are the mockings of the wicked? How cruel they are. You, know, you heard the old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's not true, is it? Words hurt, don't they? They hurt greatly and they hurt deeply. Sometimes we can remember things, bad things that people have said to us from, for years and years and years. It never goes away, does it? So they do hurt. But you know, it says of our Lord Jesus, he reviled and reviled not again. When they wagged their face and they did all those terrible things at him, said those things to him, he didn't return evil. He didn't give it back to him. He patiently bore all those things. As I said, it was bad enough they crucified him. But they also mock and they deride him as well. And don't believe that just happens to God. God's people are mocked as well. I had a list, and I don't have time, but I had a, two pages of examples of God's people being mocked by doing 
that which is only right and holy. Paul reminds all those in Hebrews chapter 11 how that they were mistreated in their days. Sarah, you remember, was mocked by Hagar. Israel was mocked or mocked the faithful prophets who came to them. Samson was mocked by the Philistines. Lot was mocked by his own son-in-laws when he told them of the destruction of Sodom and of Gomorrah that was coming. Thirdly, the sinners need to know this. Continue on in sin and wickedness. God one day will mock you. Now that's not me just trying to be mean or trying to make a pun out of all of this. But this is what God's Word says. And my friend, if you believe Psalm 22, then you might as well believe Proverbs 1. Listen to what it says. That God will mock you in your time of trouble and He will not deliver. He says, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when your fear come. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and they and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my reproof. They despised all my reproof. Or they they would none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You know, the only thing that will stop that is believing that message we've been preaching all morning. Christ crucified for sinners. He's the only Savior. You can't save yourself. You can't go through a list of things and do, do this. Join this church or join that church. Be baptized. Take communion. All those things. They cannot and will not save you. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ. Repenting of sins and turning to Him. Another thing I must say at this point is while all these terrible things happen to our Lord, His great sufferings, the rejection of men, yet He bore all these things patiently. You know, He could have devoured every single one of them standing there easily. He could have spoke them right out of existence. He could have spoke them right into hell. But He did not. He took it all in patience. And that became then a great example to us in all of our trials and in all of our adversities. 
Paul writes this in Hebrews. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. And then the exhortation for us in that is, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. So he tells us here, you remember those things that was written in Psalm 22. You remember those things that are going to be recorded in the gospel accounts regarding Christ, that he faithfully carried out his Father's will, that he faithfully and patiently went through all this contradiction of sinners. You do that lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Remember, he's talking about a race there in Hebrews 12, verse 1. And you can get tired running a race, can't you? And you're ready to quit. And Paul's liking that to the Christian life. And at times, there are days and times which we want to quit because things are hard. People are making fun of me. People are poking at me. People are saying evil things about me. They don't think right of me. I mean, after all, I was only doing this to help. And look what they do to me. Look what they say about me. And so it's easy to quit. But he says, you remember what Jesus did. Remember, he he went through all of that. And he waited for the thing that was going to make him joyful on the, on the other side. He goes, you need to do that as well or you will be weary and faint in your mind.